even from that time, you know, the Bohemian Grove Alex was very different than this this version. I he's completely just turned into this. He, he was always bad and hard to be around, but he, I mean, he's transformed into like a total beast before our eyes, you know. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host for today, Robbie Martin. I have a very special guest on the line. Her name is Kelly Jones, and she is a family court justice activist, the ex-wife of Alex Jones, and editor of CustodyWars.com. And I've been very interested to talk to Kelly ever since I saw her appear online with a Twitter account talking about her her predicament that she's in right now. And I would like, uh, like her to explain more about that. And also we're going to go into the history of sort of the evolution of InfoWars and how Kelly had an inside perspective on how that evolved over the years into basically becoming a, an arm of, in some ways, the Trump administration. So, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Robbie. So first, I, I, I need to ask you, how are you doing? How are you holding up with all this going on right now? Um, it's a tough time. You know, I was just sued again last Friday by Alex regarding custody issues. Um, you know, every day it seems like something else pops up. So yesterday at the gym, I had, I was served with court documents. Um, it's a stressful time and I'm very concerned about my children. Of course. And, and just so people out there listening know, um, Kelly filmed her being served by a process server on Periscope and handled it extremely well. Well, thank you. Sadly, I've had a lot of experience with court dealings, so I have um, learned to manage that stress, but it is very stressful, that's for sure. So on your website, custodywars.com, I just pulled a few quotes from you on there because I think it gives better insight into what you're dealing with right now than than my, my own uh, understanding of it. You say over six months ago, a jury decided for me to be the primary parent to our children. Despite this, the judge has left my children primarily with Alex Jones. Explain that a little bit because there was a big blast in the media. It almost seems like it was a, you know, a year ago by now. It probably wasn't that long ago. But there was a lot of media coverage about your custody trial with Alex Jones. The media didn't really follow up after that trial was over, but it sounds like after you were granted custody, things did not actually work out like they should have. So explain explain exactly what happened there and, and why, um, after you were granted custody, you still don't actually have custody. Right. So I was actually granted primary custody by a jury of our peers last year, last April. So it has been about a year. Um, this was after having gone through... Um, three and a half years of divorce and subsequent custody litigation filed by my ex-husband, Alex Jones. Um, Over that course of three and a half years, I ended up with less time with my children than drug dealers and prostitutes. I had been their sole caregiver, you know, their primary caregiver. Alex was around, but very little. Um, and I went from that and actually from being a homeschool mom, which was something that he insisted on to 
um, after I filed for divorce, which I did, I tried to do it softly and gently because I, I anticipated that he would be vindictive. Um, I filed in a collaborative process, but I was forced to leave and enter into litigation. Over that period of time, um, tragic, you know, heartache of losing my kids, seeing my kids in a horrible situation of showing up, you know, manifesting serious psychological abuse symptoms, um, along with medical neglect that, you know, there's no denying that that was going on and, and other just horrific things that these kids, these beautiful kids that were so innocent before this, were just thrown into the mob brought me to that jury trial uh, spent every liquid cent I had of the settlement that I got, which was so disproportionate to Alex's um, that it's not even in the same universe. And and part of the reason why I bring that up, Robbie, is because when you have disproportionate resources in high conflict, high dollar family court, you can keep on litigating forever, which is apparently Alex's intention just to drive me into the ground with keeping coming at me. None of this is in the best interest of our kids who just want to live a life, you know, but continually keeping up this hostile, hostile litigation. And so back to the jury verdict, they decided for me 10 to 2 for me to be primary parent, which was a huge shift. I had very limited custody at the time I went to trial. Um, the jury saw what was going on despite the judicial bias. And I bring up the judicial bias because you said, well, the judge left the kids primarily with Alex. During the trial, the judge was so uh, controlling of the trial in a way to shield uh, and protect Alex that she didn't let InfoWars footage come before the jury, um, which is, you know, I mean, I had clip after clip of Alex raging and in many instances just wasted on the air. And we're going to take back our country. It's an exciting night. Sure. I mean, um, Roland Deschain is the French narrative of the archetype. Arthur Pendragon is the British archetype. And every other culture has one. I'm Welsh myself from the Pendragon line. But specifically, this is what's manifested in the new in the new country we're building. Well, I'd love to hear about freedom of the press with them legalizing domestic propaganda you know, under Obama. You actually have liquor on your breath. In the, uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you a Puritan? No, I'm just amazed that you're doing your job with liquor on your breath. Does that give See, you the guts she, to yell at she, I need the guts. I got too many guts, baby. I think you do. I drink alcohol, so I don't got too many guts. Anyways, you know. Drunk while you're No, it's actually made up. I've had a, I had a coffee earlier. I can drink, you know, an entire jug of Jack Daniels, and you won't even think I'm drunk. But she wouldn't let those come before the jury. And she gave him, you know, five and a half days of direct examination, which means of being the aggressor where I was just on the defense. That means that time he could put on whoever he wanted, you know, argue whatever he wanted and he was coming. So the rebuttal, you know, if, if anybody knows that if you're accused coming back from a defensive point, put you at a great disadvantage anyhow, but he had five and a half days. I had a day and a half, but despite all that, the jury did decide for me. And I believe that if she had allowed that footage to come in and had allowed me to present my case as I should have been allowed to present it, that I would have gotten soul managing conservatorship. Instead, the judge, um, well, the jury decided for me to be 
primary parent. And the standard in Texas is for that to mean that the kids primarily reside with the primary parent, right? That makes sense. Um, and then the, the non-primary parent gets what in Texas is called the standard possession order, which is like weekends or maybe the extended standard, which is weekends and Thursdays. Um, I had argued at the time of trial that I wanted to be soul managing because of the abuse that I showed, which is still going on in the case, which is a form of psychological abuse exerted against children. Um, Sometimes it's termed parental alienation, and that's how I went to court. But that term is so often misused, and we can talk about that later, about how actually Alex is saying that that's who I am now um, in this latest horrible filing. And I laugh not at, because it's funny, but because it's painful and absurd. Um, but it's better termed coercive control. And what it is, uh, and some people call it domestic abuse by proxy. It's a systematic brainwashing and programming of children using documented behaviors, um, a course of conduct that we prove forensically in court, things like um, limiting contact, you know, presenting toxic messages, uh, erasing memories, even uh, blocking not only communications, but representational communications. So um, having, being allowed to have, you know, photos and things of the other parent in the home. Um, and, and, and that is sometimes coupled with, you know, withholding affection, directly coercive things like, you know, if you give the that the pa parent who is doing this abuse is called the alienator. The parent who's receiving it is called the targeted parent. So, like, if the child is expressing love or um, wanting to be with the other parent, that child is ostracized. That happened horrifically in, and demonstrably in this case. We proved up this um, alienation abuse, and despite that, uh, the judge left the kids primarily with Alex. And so... It's an awful situation, and, and what she did, too, is she set up horribly irresponsible uh, rights and duties, and rights and duties are like you get to decide, right, where the kids go to school or what their activities are. I mean, simple things like, you know, are we going to put them in ballet or jujitsu, right? Yeah. Well, she made stipulations that I would have to get Alex's um, agreement on things. I mean, Alex has been so brutally aggressive. I can't even, I, I don't know. I couldn't probably get him to agree to the, the most simple issue, like, you know, that the sky is blue or something. I really probably get it. <laughs> so, so putting the kids in the middle of that has just allowed more, you know, uh, conflict to foster, uh, to fester and given him more time to build up his next, you know, ridiculous, absurd, meritless, cruel, vexatious argument, which he's now filed against me last Friday. So just so I understand correctly, Alex, so after this all happened, um, Alex has, has filed um, lawsuits against you or just did he, has he only filed one or multiple lawsuits? No, Alex has filed repeatedly. He filed during the trial repeatedly motioning for a new trial. Um, and then after the trial, he filed multiple motions for a new trial or for new orders. Um, and so every time he files something, which the judge should shut down, I mean, it is the court's responsibility to see that this is vexatious litigation. And I mean, I think your listeners probably can 
maybe, um, except that Alex could be a vindictive and aggressive and uh, vexatious litigator. I mean, vexatious litigation is a legal term, you know, issuing lawsuits or filings to harass or harm the other person, you know, just to just to mess with them, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, to, and to damage them. Um, he's filed several motions for a new trial, and now he's filed this modification. And he, and interestingly, or horrifically, um, he's filed this modification while I have the current orders that this judge issued on appeal. And they're on appeal with the first Texas Court of Appeals um, because they're unconstitutional and they block my civil liberties, they block my free speech rights, they block my Fourth Amendment rights. And all of this should be very concerning to America. I mean, I did not realize the injustice that runs rampant in family court until I found myself in it. And it's there's no due process. Um, things like this happen to people a lot, but I'm sort of the poster child with this huge, you know, over $6 million case of this guy with endless pockets just coming at me, coming at me. And I mean, the thing is, it's Alex Jones, right? So how could it be that these experts had no concerns with Alex, even despite the diagnoses that came out in court, but they were so worried about me when I reported abuse and, and concerns about things that had happened in our relationships told the truth about the domestic, horrific, uh, abusive situation I had been in and, and brought forth real serious CPS reportable concerns during um, the pendency of our divorce. Those people that should have helped Alex get help, right, and should have protected my kids, took hundreds of thousands of dollars to gaslight me just for the money just for the referrals that they give each other, um, just did this. And I, I, you know, I'm getting kind of sad here. It's horrific. It's Alex Jones. I don't think anybody would think that that would be normal, you know? And so I'm hoping that this case in its poster child way can help raise awareness. I'm hoping that people will get really mad and, and push the uh, Texas attorney general to take action to indict the criminal bad actors in my case. But I've had to come forward because I feel like, in privacy and in silence, he's just—it's just gotten worse, you know. Well, I totally understand, and and hopefully anybody who's listening to this um, will bring more light to your case and your situation and predicament, um, because I, like I was saying before, it—I think most people who followed this custody battle uh, court case before were under the false impression. Or just came away from that story thinking that you now have custody of the kids and, and they're with you. And that's, that's obviously not the case from what you're telling me. The thing about the situation, it's convoluted and complex. And that's how these people operated. I do have custody. Like, I am primary parent. I did win. I didn't lose custody. I won custody. Exactly. But the judge has put a roadblock to that and has left my kids in that to a point to now where I'm even you know, had to appeal the orders at tremendous expense. And while I'm appealing the orders, Alex is trying to get me back is while well, he's, he's gonna probably get me back in court on this horrible motion. And it's so horrible, Robbie, it says that I willingly gave up possession of my son for six months. And I mean, I, if ever I wish that my child was listening, I did not give up possession of my wonderful son for six months. I have been begging and trying to get the limited access that the judge granted me, which was eight hours a week. 
to my amazing, talented son who's been left just to in horrible, abusive situation. I've shown even post-divorce with Alex's weird bodyguard sending him horrific abusive texts telling him he knows where I am, cursing at him. Oh, God. Um, it's awful. Yeah. So if I, I love my son, I'm fighting for my son. I, I am fighting for all my kids to get them out of the situation. And that's all I, I'm doing my best. I've been forced to now appear pro se or represent myself in the majority of all these proceedings because I don't have the money to go to, to hire a lawyer to battle him. So... Well, well, that's that's what I was going to mention next. Is you are <clears throat> you are making a plea on your website, Custody Wars. Uh, you say, "I'm making a national call for a large firm to take my case on a contingency." And anybody listening out there who has a law firm or who knows somebody who does, please consider taking this case and getting in contact with Kelly. You you can hear the passion and how big of a heart she has. This is this this needs more attention. So please, if you're listening out there, please uh, make light of this and uh, and and listen to what what she's trying to say. And also go to her website. I guess this is just more of a personal question, Kelly. But since you were married to Alex for so long, what was it like going like going to court against being in court against Alex Jones? I would imagine uh. this situation pr- probably had played out in your mind that you might have to go to court with them at some point. Um, But what was it actually like? I I can't even imagine. Well, by the time I left, uh, I I got my gut up after the years of domestic abuse to leave Alex. Um, It was so bad. You know, it was so awful. He had uh, deteriorated to such a point that it was really untenable for me to be around him for any any length of time at all. Um, so I filed collaboratively, which in Texas is a mediative process, thinking, you know, at least I can try to do this and he won't be so angry at me. You know, maybe this will be a way for me to just get out of it. Well, um, the things that he did during that collaborative process were so horrific and endangering. And, and you know, not only that, but he was just invading my space and coming and taking things. I mean, he came and took my dog, you know, he came oh, and took God. my dog. And, uh, and so I just said, that's it. I've got to go to litigation. And it was, I mean, I guess it was technically our dog, but he was my dog. He was my dog. He didn't spend any time with that dog, just like the kids. He never spent any time with the kids, but, but then he made it his life's mission to take them from me. I mean, going through this with Alex, it, it was him harassing me incessantly through texts and then later through people that should have been helping me. It was false accusation after false accusation, horrific accusations about me. I can tell you one thing that did happen is that Alex accosted one of the paralegals in the courthouse and the judge had let the proceedings go on. I mean, you know, when it culminated in that jury trial you talked about, Robbie, I mean, Alex was exhibiting courtroom behavior that no judge would ever normally allow. You know, standing up in a seat and doing the things you saw him do maybe in that video. I mean, that just came out a couple of days ago where if oh, he's asked conference. one. Yeah. Yeah. So what's his reaction to a, to a question he doesn't like? Really weird, right? Augmented, angry, bizarre, like not normal, right? Well, I, I, I saw mean, footage that, of him going to uh, kiss and, and hug the American flag after he was asked a question. So I'm not sure if that was the same part of the press conference, but it was quite bizarre to watch. Yes, bizarre to watch is a good way to call it, but but 
concerning, like weird. Like oh, it's yeah. a custody proceedings about this. If you can't ask a guy a question, like a simple question on the stand where you're supposed to have the most decorum you could possibly have, you're in front, he's in front of the press and everything. And, and he's huffing and puffing and, and, and sneering. I mean, there was a time in one of the hearings where Alex stood up and acted like he was going to go attack one of my attorneys. This is not, it's crazy. Exactly. It's just wild behavior. You will pay. Yeah. You think I don't see your face scum? You don't think I don't see you? Stelta. I see you. You understand me? I know what you think of me and my family. I see you right back. You understand that? You understand that, Stelta? You will fall! You will not bring humanity down! God is going to destroy you! Get him off the screen. Completely, he's completely hidden in plain sight. He's right there for everyone to see. There is no disconnect between the Alex on the air and the Alex in real life, except he's worse in real life. Um, more rageful, more vengeful. It's all about him. Um, he's a cruel and scary guy. He's a big guy, you know. It's pretty wild. It's unbelievable to me, you know, and I think probably to a lot of your audience that he's been allowed to get away with what he gets away with. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this might even sound a little bit conspiratorial what I'm about to ask, but do you think that there is in Austin and in this part of Texas, do you think that there's sort of stealth uh, Alex Jones fandom, even within law enforcement and the, the legal system in, in Texas? I know that almost sounds crazy to suggest because if we rewind 15 years ago, he was kind of more looked at like a marginalized figure. But now that he's more mainstream, I'm wondering... Did you feel like there there was any bias like among the judge or any of the people in the court system who might have actually been like secret Alex Jones fans? Yeah, I've got a trifold answer to that question. I'm going to try to remember that I said trifold. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the first thing is with regards to bias or preferential treatment, I mean, Alex was pulled over on a no refusal weekend after having, I think it was six drinks within an hour. Um, and instead of having him breathalyze, Alex was allowed to, he got, he got out of the car with his hands in his pocket and the cop shook his hand and it was a no refusal. Yeah. So there is a lot of that going on. I think the second, um, component of that is the overlay of his power and money. Um, Alex got the and the power and the money of his counsel. Uh, I did a ridiculous, uh, not very well presented video on my YouTube channel about Alex. Uh, Alex's attorney, his father, um, his father's name is the name that the courthouse the street that the courthouse is on is named after his father, right? It's the, it's Roy Minton street and Alex's attorney is David Minton. So those are the, it's a good old boy thing. You know, it's a little wow. big town and, and the power component being, you know, I'm sure they're not supposed to be affected by public opinion, but I mean, who, who wants to go against Alex Jones? It's a scary prospect, right? I've had article after article killed because he's a vexatious litigator. He's a multi multi-millionaire. So he's going to come after people that do him harm. I'm sure that people knew if they came out against him that they'd be getting all kinds of bad Infowars press, right? But on top of that, it's a real crime story of uh, corruption that led into the wrongful conviction of me, the mom, which a jury saw, but then the judge left, you know, the kids primarily with Alex. 
it's really, uh, I mean, everything you're describing sounds incredibly hypocritical to what Alex Jones claims to stand for. I mean, this whole idea of vexatious litigation, that's what, essentially what he's accusing all of these people suing him of right now. I mean, like going back to, you know, James Alphantis, I don't know if he actually sued him, but like Chobani Yogurt did. The main, one of the main reasons, in addition to the very main reason, the custody issue of me coming forward is Alex has filed repeatedly to block my free speech. I mean, it is so hypocritical. You're allowed to question things in America. That's not defamation. But what is defamation is to file lawsuits that say I said things I didn't say and then put me and my whole family through the ringer and lie about us and hold us up against dead children and say basically we hate their families, we hate the children. It's almost like I murdered the children. And that's not what happened. And our listeners know the truth. And we're receiving record traffic at NewsWars.com, PrisonPlanet.com, and Infowars.com because people want to find out what is this all about. Uh, and I think the thing that shocked me the most as his, um, as his ex-wife, uh, the thing that I did agree with, uh, with Alex is the constitutional important or the importance of our constitutional rights, right? Our basic civil liberties, how important they were. Yes. That's the platform he built his audience off of the libertarian platform. Right. And he ha went against every single tenet that he says he believes in and the hypocrisy of my case, people are like, you know, people are angry about Alex. What do we do about this guy? But, you know, I tell you what, everybody just follow me and help me show his hypocrisy because there's no way that people can believe that he's a patriot or a constitutionalist or that he has any values um, at all if they follow this case. And they will clearly see what a cruel and bad and mean person he is. And and I, I feel sorry for Alex. I think he's got serious mental issues that, I, and I wish he would get help for them. You know, he's my kid's dad, but until he does, I got to stand up to him. Of course. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you are um, because, you know, there are, I feel like there is a lack of people going after him who know, really know what, what he's about and who know his history. And um, so I'm really, really glad you're doing this because a lot more people need to know. Um, and you brought up this idea of of how abusive he was, and I guess I guess I'm curious, you know, if this is not too much of a personal question to ask, but how, when did these signs start exhibiting themselves? Was he always was there always sort of a strain of abusiveness in his behavior, um, or did it get worse over time? Because full disclosure for everyone listening is I used to be an Infowars listener back during the George W. Bush administration. And a lot of the things Alex Jones would say and talk about were extremely captivating to me, um, issues that no one else was talking about, NSA surveillance, um, police state encroachments, those kinds of things. Well, first of all, I just wanted to bring forward, if I could, the fact that you, you know, you said you were you used to listen to him as a liberal person during the George W. Bush time. Yes. And he had a huge liberal following then. So um, I, I think it is for important to bring that forward. I mean, I, as a human, am pretty tolerant, you know, and I think um, I identified I, I came to identify myself as a libertarian, but I don't know that I'm. Um, anything but just somebody who believes we have civil liberties, uh, which is what he believed, and that's why he had these followers. Now people just see this Alex 2.0, the hater, the um, extreme right-winger, the presidential mouthpiece, right? Yeah. So 
Um, regarding the abuse, I mean, I met Alex, I was, I mean, to me, I was still young, you know, I was 29, he was 24. Um, and he was a charismatic guy, you know, it was a busy time in my life. I had just moved back to Austin. My best friend was dying of AIDS. So I was going through a real personal tragedy. Like I grew up in Europe and I've moved around a lot in my life. So, uh, you know, my core, one of my, one of my main, um, pieces of my support system was was dying. And I met him then and he was very charismatic and charming. He was good looking, you know, he um, was, I remember, I remember. He was good looking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so was I, I can laugh about that too. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, he's, he, I can say this cause it came out in Rolling Stone magazine. He's been diagnosed with nar narcissistic personality disorder, right? That came out publicly and narcissists have, a very magnetic, charismatic personality. I mean, this guy did not get as big as he is without having tremendous magnetism anyhow. So at the beginning of a relationship with a narcissist who usually, be, you know, evolves into a narcissistic abuser, um, you're really kind of like, it's, it's the opposite. You're kind of like, just like, he's almost worshipful, just so devoted, so interested in you, you know, not realizing that slowly that interest and that f thing is becoming a fixation. It's becoming an assimilation. And while that, you know, an assimilation into their personality, so you're, you're supposed to, over time, you know, they want you to morph into just being an adjunct to them, which certainly started to happen pretty early on. Yeah. Um, then I went to work. He said, I was working for a TV station. He said, come to work for me. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, that was my biggest mistake because then behind closed doors and isolation, uh, you know, all the supports and, and external input pretty much broke down. The abuse was, I mean, most of the abuse in my relationship with Alex was severe psychological abuse and, and programming and, and things of that nature, but severe gaslighting, but horrific. I mean, I, you know, I was so beat down as a human being and those things happened gradually. Um, the, then I started seeing some rage pretty early on as well. Once I was isolated and, and when I married him, it wasn't as bad as it got to be, but it was already bad. And uh, anyhow, I married him. And after I married him, I tried to leave repeatedly. I mean, it, it, you know, the domestic violence circle is real. It's hard to even, when you're in it and you're an educated person or you've had a, you know, interesting life or whatever, you, you just kind of like deny to yourself that it's going on. I remember there was this moment in my early InfoWars uh, listening days when Alex Jones hired Jason Burmis to subhost for him while he was working on a film, according to Alex, that's what Alex, I remember Alex saying. I remember there was just these moments where Alex would come storming into the studio where Jason was hosting and, and start just almost like bullying him and interrupting him. And <clears throat> any, uh, any closing thoughts, Aaron, on the trip, on the way that we were treated by the guards? Yeah, I mean, take the uh, TSA in the airport a year ago, and they don't check everybody, but it's selective screening. And really, it's Look, mostly I'm telling ladies you, folks, they want to line your families up and shoot them. I've been around them. They enjoy it. That's the point. They enjoy what they're doing. Criminals. So, yeah, I mean, this was, again... The I want those criminals to know they're not getting away with any of it. Valid Come point. bastards. Valid point. They think evil's cute. It's not cute. It's absolutely not cute. But, but yeah, I, I noticed these uh, just from you pointing them out because I hadn't seen them. They're on like a little cart now 
where they take your stuff out on a cart. Like, shoes are off. I have my hooded sweatshirt off. Yeah, what is this that I'm seeing now where they follow you once you leave? <laughs> yeah. It's like you're total prisoners in a in a me medium security prison. Well, now they have behavior specialists now those that basically take an x-ray picture of you and the thing. And they're like, those are in which airports now? I'm like, they're all over the place. And then I was like, they're in the New York City subway system now. It's beyond the airports. Yeah, but they're not buying it. They're, they're back there. Listen. Us. They're ridiculed. We got to get our soul back and get mad. This crap's bull. They're trying to live in Nazi Soviet Russia. I, I, it was the first time I remember thinking of Alex like he had these qualities like a bully. I'm just wondering for you, when did, did those signs show themselves very early on around that time period? Were they getting worse? I don't know if you remember this time period when, when he had Jason subhosting for him. As far as Alex in the office and, and raging at Burmese and stuff, I mean, Alex is a rager. Alex is a guy who rips stuff out of the wall, punches holes in the wall, and he is the hugest bully ever. And I think, you know, Rob Jacobson and Ashley Beckford came forward with their EEOC complaints earlier uh, this year and and their sexual harassment issues and things like that. Alex gets these, I mean, nobody wants to come out against Alex Jones. You know, first of all, uh, the employees are under like a super, super strict NDA, which, by the way, you can't make somebody um, not disclose information to protect their illegal behavior. But Alex has gotten away with that, you know, because they're scared. I mean, my understanding is that Alex has threatened to come and slash people's tires. Somebody told me that. I, don't, I mean, that's hearsay. I don't know if that's true. But I do know that um, or have people followed or just destroy their lives, you know, just destroy their reputation. Um, I know that one of his household staff came forward with real concerns about the kids and he did what he did to so many people. He did it in a different way, but he said that she was on. So he said, Oh, she's crazy. She's on diet pills. She wants to have a relationship with me and is angry. And that's why she's saying these things wow. pretty thin, you know, almost but sounds like Trump. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Well, there are a lot of, of you know ridiculous, uh, definite parallels there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it definitely seems, and just from the outside perspective, it seemed like I I I could tell that his sort of rageful outbursts were getting worse over time, and so it's good to get that extra inside perspective information. Um, this difference between Alex Jones on air and off air. Um, he has an extremely distinct on-air personality, and I've seen enough footage of him off-air, or when he's not sort of performing, um, especially in his early days, where he seemed quite charming, uh, very calm, um, not not like a blowhard, kind of just like a normal guy, you know, who would go off on tangents about crazy subjects, but he seemed rather grounded uh, in, in some ways compared to how he is today, but I'm wondering how much of his persona on air was organic versus sort of cultivated over time. Like how much of it was a put on versus just his real personality. And I think a lot of people, even me for after watching him for so long and listening to him for so long, I was always a little bit unsure of how much of that was really him, how much of it was a performance. Um, and I know that's kind of a vague question, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think it's a really well presented question because I get this question a lot and it really made me think, you know, about who is Alex? Is he, you know, he said he was a performance actor. Well, how much of this is an act? Well, even in those early days when he was still able to be charismatic and, 
you know, normal, I guess, seeming on uh, walking around in those videos that you're referencing. He was always angry. He's always had a rage issue. Um, I know what from what I've heard from him, and I think people have heard this on air, that he said it himself, that he had to leave town because he had, you know, beat people up. And he's even told me he's brain damaged people and stuff like that. I mean, he is a... Um, the the rage though the uncontrolled rage that the that the mask is faded I think is what it is more than anything I think that that um, got the mask got thinner and thinner as he grew more and more in power and popularity and the more he fell into alcoholism I really think Alex is a serious serious alcoholic and I think that what we're looking at now is a guy who's just really descended into that completely and the behaviors the um it's a disease right the that those disease manifests are are evident well th that definitely matches up with what what I've you know how I've seen him evolve over time I mean even just his physical appearance um seems to have characteristics of alcoholism and that's that's very sad. I mean, if that's contributing to his um, it's, this sort of descent. Um, yeah. But I, I watched your interview on the David Pakman show, and and I, you said something really interesting. I, I noticed, you know, I was aware of your presence in his life from watching the John Ronson documentary about Bohemian Grove, the one that the one that John made at the same time as Alex's Dark Secrets of Bohemian Grove, and I remember you appearing in that. Honey, do you want to go with us? We're we're sneaking in this thing, and then I could like a uh, like a mother hen, uh, just have you hang out at the edge of the woods while I sneak up closer. Oh, you have a gun for me, something to protect myself with. I will, but I'm going to hang out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, well, but I'm happy to come along. I mean, as long now, as we really here. have a plan. Why don't you stay here then? Because there's no way to hide your beautiful femininity uh, from the goblins. Henry Kissinger's fat belly hanging over me while he's naked with a big dagger, am I? Bush. Governor Bush running around in a pink tutu, foaming at the mouth with a purple wig on, am I? Uh, no. <laughs> Do you think that Alex's temperament is such that he'll be able to maintain the stealth needed to undertake his operation? Well, I think Alex is um, not only a great activist and a great broadcaster, but he's also a great actor. So as long as he's able to think of what he's doing as acting, like if he has to infiltrate as a you know, guy carrying a golf bag and be very... And then after that, I never saw you... I, I don't think, I don't remember seeing you ever appear in any Infowars stuff again or even mentioned or anything like that. Um, and I'm wondering if that was a conscious decision of yours or um, why, why that was the case, why you didn't appear on Infowars and how much of a role did you actually play in his business sort of behind the scenes or, and, and, and maybe was it something that Alex didn't want you to be publicly a part of? So regarding my, um, background in Infowars, I mean, I, I met Alex just right after I had come back to Austin, right. Had a background in grassroots publicity from PETA had been all over, you know, international papers and uh, people, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I knew how to get the mainstream media's attention, which back then there's all that was. There was no, you know, social media. There was no other way to get um, known other than this. So 
I was able to help Alex construct events and things that got him on the wire for the first time on the, you know, the Associated Press where he would be picked up by papers across the country. Um, and I was his webmaster. I was the person who produced the show. So I got the guests. I got him his first big guests. Um, and so I functioned in that role. Um, I had, uh, like I said, been working for the TV station. I came to work for him. And when I first started doing that, I just kind of like followed the lead. Like I didn't really know or understand really exactly everything that he was talking about necessarily. But I was able to gather news articles on things like biometrics and the police state and, and um, you know, just kind of followed his lead and didn't even really believe I was, I was offended and concerned like you about the overreaching police actions and privacy invasions and things of that nature. Very alarming, especially, you know, presented in that context and the way that I was receiving them. But I didn't understand the weird conspiracy things. And I don't think I ever really bought into that. Like even the Bohemian Grove thing. I mean, I was there. I think it's really weird that world leaders go and dress up like people from eyes wide shut and like robes <laughs> and worship an owl. Okay. I do think that's weird, but I do think it's probably just an allegory. You know, I think that's this allegorical thing where they go cremate care and it's just weird as all get out. Of course. And I'm sure there's some weird shady stuff that happens. I mean, but I'm not alleging that they're, you know, actively worshiping a god or some weird thing it is bizarre though right like what is that um and so like you asked um about me being in the public eye i mean i became sequestered i actually met alex we had the same tv show producer um and so i mean i had always wanted to uh, do something i guess in the media i had gone even back to ut to study journalism and um and so he purposely, I mean, I've just became very much like all I did all day long, literally for 12 to 15 hours a day was work to, to build his, uh, persona and business and all this stuff. And he was very different back then. I know people, a lot of people hate, probably hate me that I did that, but it was a very different time. And I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, I assume responsibility for that. I, as a, uh, Christ follower, repent. Like I, I'm really sorry with whatever I role I had in creating this thing that has now devolved into this pit of propaganda and hate. That is, I, you know, part of the reason why I'm speaking out too is I really think, I mean, people like to laugh at Alex. People think this is so funny. I think he has a lot more power than people realize. I believe that. Um, I agree. He. He is an effectively a propaganda arm, and I think we could go into it. I broke it broken it down a little bit on custodywars.com. His funding and and his whole business model changed completely right around the time or right before Roger Stone appeared on the scene. So then he's got all this money. He's changed his uh, political stance completely. What is that? That's advertising. That's undisclosed, you know, brought to you by stuff. Uh, I don't know exactly how it worked, but it's concerning to me. And it's concerning to me that, you know, I, I think that a lot of Alex's stuff is probably still pay per play. Uh, it's getting him a lot of money in supplement purchases that I, I don't know how that's really working to fund uh, this huge industry that he's created. So um, I was kept sequestered away. My life was a life of isolation. Um, and then it turned into, you know, very abusive isolation. If the reason for putting forward the conspiracy theories before was to protect the state, the, the, the nation from totalitarianism, what is this reason now? 
Because when I hear him say conspiracy theories now, all I hear him say is that it's a partisan issue and that it's people trying to attack his this party that's sort of like risen up, this great nationalism, right? This great alt-right thing. And, and what is that? That's fascism. That justifying, a, and I'm, I'm not very well spoken on this, but I, you know, I'm trying to understand how people can't see that what we're seeing here is grises beyond the concern of let's laugh at him because, you know, he talks about gay frogs or let's um, be appalled, which it is appalling for the horrible things he says about, um, you know, again, like the LGBT community. But let's be really concerned about our nation, about what we're really looking at here, about the, this it's a multi multi-million dollar industry that is promoting itself and the promoting that it's doing is not for itself it's for uh, a president you know yeah it's it's been quite disturbing to watch that transition i mean that's that i think is something that a lot of people who critique alex jones and who make you know mostly just make jokes about a miss is that you can no longer just marginalize him as some crazy kook conspiracy theorist who has this niche audience. I mean, he has a huge, huge audience. And you you can talk to a lot of random conservatives casually now, and a lot of them will echo his talking points. I mean, even was it surreal for you to see words that you used to only hear on Infowars like globalist become words that Trump has actually said? Um, because that, I mean, and, and I want to go more into this Roger Stone um, Alex Jones relationship, but just that alone was very odd for me. So how, what was that like for you? I, I think the thing that I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that Alex was not only endorsing a presidential candidate, but becoming his mouthpiece. I think that what's interesting that I've broken down also on custody wars is how, I mean, Alex, he had like a little tiny syndication out of a gold broker's paid for a radio network where he was reaching people. He paid for time on a satellite, whatever he had some people listening to him, the, the, I guess the preppers or whatever of America then listening to him. Right. Um, but he was picked up by Sinclair. Uh, Bob Sinclair came and syndicated him out of KLBJ. And even back then, I was like, how is this coming out on the air on KLBJ? It was kind of weird, right? Like how is he getting away with saying what he's saying? Well, was this the guess, Sunday show that started? Yes. Okay, yeah, I remember yes. that. Okay, I mean, because it's pretty radical stuff even back then, right? Yeah. But then, um, and I remember it being slightly toned, a slightly more toned down version of his regular show, if I remember correctly. I, I don't know if that's I, how you would describe it. I think it sounds accurate. I mean, I I don't know how it could not have been since it was on mainstream media with regular broadcasters. I just yeah. don't see how it could. But it had, you know, it did have some of the stuff in it. Well, then over time, um, and suddenly, you know, right before the election, Alex gets a link on Drudge. He's legitimized by Matt Drudge, and Matt Drudge actually went on his show. Then we have Roger Stone appear. All of this stuff, by the way. Um, coincides with my divorce because I believe that, and I'm pretty clear on this actually, that Alex was preparing for divorce because what he did about half a year before I filed. So I'm thinking I'm filing, right? But really he's um, restructured our business and our, our finances so completely um, to, to keep me away from it, right? That it's pretty obvious that he was preparing, but right before 
the, about six months before is when this guy Gucciardi comes in with the supplements. And then all of a sudden we've got Roger Stone appearing. We've got the new wife who was then the new girlfriend, you know, where did she come from? Well, she was introduced from the guy who had the supplements. I, I think it'd be really interesting to follow that line to see like, where did this great supplement idea come from? You know, who brought this forward to Alex? Who's behind this? Um, because it certainly has been very, very lucrative to him. And then, of course, when Roger Stone comes on, all of a sudden, all these other people like Roger Stone are coming on. And Alex is becoming, and this is, by the way, while the divorce is going on, I think. No, actually, I think it's while the Kessidy case is going on. It's been pretty much just constant litigation. But he completely changed his platform. And he, not only did he completely change his platform, he completely changed his business model. And I don't think I'd be disclosing any business secrets by saying that he went from being funded by subscription, uh, his subscription service, which was obviously out there, uh, you know, monthly viewers to his videos on his subscription service and on documentary film production and on the traditional venue of advertising and radio, you know. So he went from that <laughs> to being the supplement guy. He's a gajillionaire with multi, multi-million dollar studios, which he talks about. Therefore, I can. And what what is that all about? You know, and yes, and then suddenly, right, Trump appears on his show, further legitimizing him, right? So it's yeah. this um it's this legitimization circle where it's all like we're we're legitimate because we say we are and we pay to say it, but we're not gonna really show you that we're paying to say it, and there you have it. Yeah, it's that's very just my perspective. I mean, I you know, I'm not saying that I'm this great analyst or anything, but it seems pretty apparent to me that there's something really shady and weird about it. Yeah, well, I think that's a really a keen observation because I mean, I the, there's still a mystery surrounding exactly why this shift occurred, and it could it could just come down to money that that there is um, that there are people sort of pay for play doing this, but there's there seemed to be a key turning point when. You mentioned how Matt Drudge started reaching out to Alex, appeared on his show, even put, you know, started putting InfoWars links on his website, which um, must have generated enormous amounts of traffic to InfoWars. Um, but there, it seemed that it was a, a kind of a stealth transition. If I'm remembering re really specifically back to even a few years before this, um, I think it was maybe even around 2014, I remember um, Paul Joseph Watson started appearing on the Michael Savage show using an InfoWars tag. But the question is being raised by some in the media who are actually doing their jobs, uh, mainly Paul Joseph Watson of InfoWars. I thought it was pretty interesting. Paul Joseph Watson of InfoWars, thanks for joining us again on the Savage Nation. Hi, Michael. Good to be back. And it, that, I remember thinking that was very strange because really, uh, I mean, not, not that uh, early before that, Alex Jones and Michael Savage seem to hate each other. But still, he does horrible things like say, and I heard him over and over again say years ago, anyone who disagrees with the government and protests the war is aiding terrorists. You should be arrested and put in a camp. And we shouldn't have to pay for you in a camp, so it should be forced labor. Now, that's basically word for word. That is 180 degrees the opposite of liberty. Let me close shot again, guys. You know, here's liberty... When Bush was in power, Savage and others were supporting total tyranny. I even remember Alex Jones bringing up the allegations that Michael Savage had sex with um, child prostitutes like in Morocco and things like that. And he would call him Michael Weiner. And then all of a sudden, Paul, oh just, Paul, all of a sudden Paul Joseph Watson is on Michael Savage show and Michael Savage is there plugging Infowars. 
what, do you remember Alex saying anything about this at the time? Like, should I do this? Is this is this good for me? Someone who's been ringing the alarm bell for decades is Dr. Michael Savage, best-selling author, um, multiple PhD, uh, and of course, uh, syndicated radio host, michaelsavage.com, michaelsavage.wnd.com, Michael Savage, Countdown to Mecca. Uh, but so much to get into today, sir. Great to have you with us. Um, got a little bit of reverb there, uh, getting his audio lined out. But oh, my friend, you we're getting a little feedback. So what I need to do here is turn off my speaker, I think. Alex, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. You've got the floor. Go ahead. Alex, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Go ahead. We're having a little technical problem. Like, would he admit in private that he was strategically using these more mainstream conservatives that he actually really hated to get his message out there? Or did it seem like Alex actually came to truly admire someone like Michael Savage? Or was that just strategy? I think most of that happened after my time, you know? I think that when he was a little broadcaster in... You know, he wasn't tiny, but he was still like just broadcasting. And there were these people that they, this is kind of a tangent, but they used to sell this thing called Miracle Soap. And it was like this ridiculous product and obviously snake oil or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and we would laugh about that. And then years later, he comes to me and he goes, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of selling supplements. And I said, no, it's snake oil. We don't need that. That's not who we are. You know, that's not, um, not that I was bought into his thing, which by the way, I think earlier when you said there was a big shift, I think that was shift that you were talking about is me around the birth of my youngest child saying, I can't have anything to do with this anymore. So my role then was just real managerial and business systems and things like that, you know, um, right of that nature. But back to the topic at hand, um, he just shifted. He, he started selling those supplements. And then once I'd filed for divorce was when all this great rise of the great alt-right Alex Jones, I couldn't believe it. And by the way, a lot of people who know him or knew him cannot believe it. And everybody asked the same question, what happens? I mean, the conspiracies around it, I can tell you are, you know, that he was compromised in some way when he was started hanging out with Charlie Sheen. Of course, there's the Charlie Sheen, um, nurse who is speculated to have also been an escort who came forward and said that Alex introduced her to Charlie Sheen. There's definitely an undercurrent of, uh, uh this adult, um, industry people in this as well, which is really weird and bizarre. It is bizarre. Yeah. It sounds like in some ways you tethered Alex Jones into a more grounded position while you guys were married. And it appears that a lot of the shift started to happen when you guys, um, you know, before, right before you got divorced and afterwards, it's, I mean, it seems like you, you, I mean, just from talking to you, you sound a lot more grounded than he does. So I'm, I'm wondering if this was part of it, it, like maybe after you you guys divorced that he felt that he had no one maybe telling him what to do or, or you know, reminding him of his contradictions and things like that. Do you think any, is that, do you feel that that might be true? I mean, I've often said that I thought that I was like a governor on a car to Alex in many ways. You know, there was definitely never any like even vulgarity or it was a family or even he would say over and over, this is a family show. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there was definitely no like this crass cursing and all that. In the bathroom, I couldn't wipe my ass. Excuse me. I apologize. We have a family audience. That was wrong and I won't do it again. We have a lot of Christian affiliates. I am a Christian. 
but I will stomp your head in if you start a fight with me, you thug scum. Anyways, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Bunch of cowards. Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to control myself right now. She is a demon damned to hell. Excuse me. I've been trying to control myself, trying to be professional about this. But at a certain point, I just am just really getting pissed. Just excuse me. But I mean, honestly, Robbie, I was replaced before I filed for divorce. You know, there were obviously things going on. And so, uh, I mean, he kicked me to the curb with his, you know, his family kicked me to the curb and um, they purposefully and maliciously and with intent did all these things. And so um, I think too, like, I just think that the drinking just got so bad and that the, the reasons out the window. Damn it, man. What the fuck? Is there nobody fucking pure in this goddamn fucking world? See, now I'm fucking pissed right now. Some the goddamn fucking liberal fascists censoring us everywhere the last two days. We did an emergency fucking 36-hour broadcast trying to stop this shit that could lead to World War III. And you fucking liberal pieces of fucking shit, you fucking assholes, fucking support this. Fuck you, you fucking goddamn degenerate fucks. I'm not against gay people, okay? I love them. They're great folks. But Schiff looks like the art type archetypal cocksucker with those little deer in the headlight eyes and all his stuff and there's something about this fairy hopping around bossing everybody around trying to intimidate people like me and you i want to tell congressman schiff and all the rest of them hey listen asshole quit saying roger and i and i, don't, I, I never used cussing in 22 years but uh, the gloves are off listen you son of a bitch what the fuck's your problem you want to sit here and say that i'm a goddamn fucking russian you get in my face with that, I'll beat your goddamn ass, you son of a bitch. You piece of shit. You fucking goddamn yeah. fucker. Listen, fuckhead. You have fucking crossed the line. Get that through your goddamn fucking head. Fuck the New World Order. Fuck Saudi Arabia. Fuck Al-Qaeda. We're gonna fuck you up the ass, you fucking piece of shit. We're gonna fucking bomb the shit out of your ass and take you to hell, fuckers. Exactly. Fuck you. Infowars.com. Um, but I think the people he's with, I don't think he's got a single person around him right now that really cares about him, except for my kids, you know, that yeah. doesn't have some motivation to be around him. I mean, all his uh, his staff are like paid amounts he wouldn't even believe, not even normal amounts at all. You know, he's his parents have moved from a one-bedroom pool house into – uh, built a multi multi million dollar mansion on their property since divorce. He's bought uh, multiple multiple condos. I mean, it's just this big, just what do you call that? What is that? What is the seven deadly sin? Where it's just like greedy, like overflowing greeting, elitist lifestyle, right? Um, totally. And then and the, and the people that glom onto him. Um, definitely. And I will say one thing, I don't talk about her, but his new wife, she married this version of Alex Jones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. And, um, that's all I have to say about that. Well, you mentioned this idea on the David Pakman show and I don't, I don't want to, you know, shit on, shit on Alex and make him out to be this, this lonely person with no friends. But you did mention that, he a lot of the people that he surrounds himself with that he perceives as his friends are actually paid employees on some level or another and it seems and it seems as if just from my time watching Alex Jones and and seeing his trajectory since the early 2000s um is that Paul Joseph Watson seems to be 
one of his longest lasting or or his single longest lasting professional relationship. And there seemed to be a time when Paul was more of an independent operator with his own opinion. And he's, and he's used to seem to be a more grounded sort of intellectual type person as well. Is this Alex Jones's closest ally and slash friend? And what do you think think of Paul? Is he, is he a good guy who has simply been brainwashed into the Alex Jones cult or because he's, because Paul also seems to have become quite unhinged over the last three or four years as well. And now hates everybody on the left, which kind of goes against this, you know, two sides of the same coin. Is soy food consumption turning men into pussies and making them more likely to adopt left-wing beliefs? Soy boys! Which led me to this, one of the funniest things on Twitter ever. This guy's compiled a huge list of the most virulently insufferable far leftists on Twitter. And guess what? They all consume soy products in copious quantities. Soy boys! Remember that whole soy boy thing that triggered... A bunch of soy boys. Soy boys. Hey y'all, my name is Mangina, and I'm a gender fluid, two-spirit, transracial, Muslim atheist, otherkin feminist, anti-racist, social justice warrior. Social justice warriors. The gift that just keeps on giving. And now the gift that just keeps on giving. I mean, Chanty Binks is so 2013. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the new face of feminism. Trigly Puff. The propaganda. It was the propaganda matrix. Was his website right? Totally. Like, so yeah. Here's the guy who was like reporting on propaganda, which is what is so ludicrous about this all this fake news crap. Basically, they created a propaganda entity to say that all news that wasn't propaganda is fake. It's ridiculous to me. I mean, Paul Joseph Watson, PJW, as I like to call him. <laughs> I think he's the servant who's outgrown his master. I think he's a very brilliant and calculating guy. I think he's a nasty guy. I don't know him that well. I've met him one time um, personally. I've, I've talked to him a jillion times, and I can tell you he's a very wealthy guy. I think he's um, positioned himself um, now, like Alex, out of greed to to reap the greatest profit. And what's what's pretty interesting is how much more, how many more viewers he has. You know how his popularity has really risen. I mean, I think he sees the model now. I think that. Um, anybody that's involved in the InfoWars enterprise at this juncture has nothing but money, mind on their money and their money in their mind or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and as for Alex having friends, he has none that are not receiving something from him. Uh, you, most of them it's money or cars or watches or, or downlines from MLM things. Um, but those who aren't are, you know, sycophant groupies who just want to hang around with some wealthy uh, guy, you know, even, even just to, uh, you know, every dinner you'll go to with Alex, he'll pay for, you know, or mm-hmm. they get to be with Alex Jones. Some people think, you know, uh, just being with someone known that makes some you important or something. Um, I think I, I don't know if I told David Pakman the story. I tell some of the story, uh, you know, Alex's closest childhood friend, when he was uh, dying in the hospital, Alex was berating him to me. And he's just a, he's just a really um, mean guy. He's mean. And, and he doesn't have, I mean, he's got that personality thing going on, the narcissism. They don't have empathy for people. And I don't think that he sees people like you and I do, like, or a relationship like that. Everything, every person is a cog in a wheel. 
every person, including, unfortunately, and tragically, my our beautiful children, you know? It's horrible. Yeah. And, and by the way, I am battling that with the children, uh, you know, in a way, like the overlay of all this money. And just going to this idea that, um, you know, that Alex Jones has these tendencies uh, to, let's say, not have empathy for people. Um, he does go on quite emotional rant sometimes on his show where sometimes he actually cries and will seem like, you know, it's all about protecting the children and things like that. And I just wanted to jump to this, this subject because, and I'm sure that you've seen stuff about this recently and, and maybe you've even seen clips of it, but Alex Jones now regularly, regularly refers to leftists and Democrats as pedophiles or demons and I mean, I think, oh, my God, I'm just going to interrupt you because sure. that, that word alone is so scary and offensive to me and terrifying that I don't even know how you can even just say it. They don't want to just uh, reorganize things. They want a giant bloodletting. It's their religion. Their religion is pedophilia and torturing people to death and starving you to death and murdering you. Oh, 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 my gosh. Oh, hell on earth. And these people are the literal demon spawn of the pit of hell. Look at him. And you know what? He is better than you if you keep letting him run your life. He runs your kids. He runs the schools. He runs the banks. This guy, this spirit, this smiling, leering devil that thinks you can't see what he is. He is your enemy. Period. I see you, enemy. I see you, enemy. 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 You are my enemy. Oh, God, they're so evil. Just please, God, free us from them. They're drunk on our children's blood, for God's sake. I'm never a lesser of two evils person, but with Hillary, there's not even the same universe. I mean, she is an abject, psychopathic demon from hell that as soon as she gets into power is going to try to destroy the planet. I'm sure of that. And people around her say she's so dark now and so evil and so possessed that they are having nightmares. They're freaking out. Folks, let me just tell you something. If the media wants to go with this, that's fine. I mean, I was told people around her that they think she's demon-possessed, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and say it, okay? They said they're scared. That's why when I see her, when kids are by her, I actually get scared myself for the child. I mean, you that big rubber face and that... I mean, this woman is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. That's, I'm telling you. She is a demon. And the things that he says, I think the mere things that he's able to just utter out of his mouth, the conjecture and the bizarre, lurid things he says should be more than ample concern for CPS to freaking jump in and help get my kids out of that situation. There's a depravity of mind to talk about things in the way that he does. And that's when, when he started really talking like that. And it's every day, right? Almost. Yeah. I mean, and some of these most disgusting rants, like I'm getting upset, Robbie, talking to you. It's horrifying. He's crazy graced with that. What kind of person can say those things that you have to have some real disconnect or uh, who says those things? Number one. Um, number two, Alex Jones has said those things about the members and participants in family court. So these things that he says about the leftists now, he said repeatedly about family court judges, about the family court system. And then he turned that family court system on his own children. 
This is who Alex Jones is. He is the hypocrite of the worst kind in a violent hypocrisy where he's actively engaging in things that he says are destructive and terrible. And it, it's, it's, it makes me furious and terrified, Robbie. It really does. Well, I really feel for you, Kelly. I mean, I, I, I don't use a phrase like this lightly, um, and that phrase is fascist tendencies. But do you think these type of impulses, did these surprise you about Alex when they came out more during this era when he's got completely behind Trump, that someone who rallied against tyranny and police state power for decades would so easily shift into this kind of mindset? Even even calling for the arrest of protesters who are protesting against Trump by military? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Robbie. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I mean, I studied World War II in college. I have a scholarship from a museum in France that's dedicated to World War II studies. And I mean, I think that people should be very frightened. And I'm not trying to be a fear monger like him. I mean, Alex was always anti-totalitarianism, anti-police state. He's got movies called Police State 2000 and Martial Law and all of these things. And yet, he suddenly goes from being a libertarian talking about civil rights to, like you said, broadly endorsing total totalitarian police state actions. I mean, that is a terrifying thing. And he does have so much power. And this power I've seen not only like in my personal life and in my custody case, I think that that has had a major component, you know, in it. But I've seen it like when I've had articles by huge major national publications about to come out and then suddenly they don't go with the article. They're controlling the dialogue of our country. He's controlling by intimidation and coercion like he did in that free speech conference what people can and will talk about in the press and how they will pursue action because now he's got the the he's on team Trump, right? And he's got the army of lawyers that's going to punish you if you challenge anything that he says, even if it's civilly, um, if he's civilly liable for uttering them, he's still going to punish you. It's a terrifying thing. And, and I, if people, when he talks about mainstream media, uh, you know, that to people means big glossy studios and, and, uh, you know, editors and people running around with these huge fancy cameras and stuff. Let me tell you that I have been, it's funny. I recently went to our local affiliate KXAN here in Austin and, oh my gosh, like that place is so tiny and, um, not, I don't know, like less lustrous and less fancy than anything remotely near one, one of Alex's studios, just one of them. Alex has got the kind of studios that people probably have in New York that are running like these, uh, you know, these big nighttime TV shows It is a big deal, maybe without the audience space, but it's, it's high technology, big money stuff. Well, I, I could tell that, I mean, just from watching when all, I mean, around the same time when this shift occurred, um, the budget of the Infowars studios seems to have, um, you know, exploded at an exponential rate. I mean, it, it seems like a very legit uh, TV studio operation now. And, and, and I'm, you know, I, I don't mean to sound paranoid, but I, you know, it doesn't appear that just supplement income alone um, and his own business model from what we know on the surface is able to pay for all that. So I've always, I've been just generally curious where, how he's getting all that money, but, but and I'm not expecting you to answer that. That's more speculative, but, um, but yeah, this is, it, it is very, um, very disturbing to just to see how much he's turned to supporting things like the police state 
even calling for martial law, which he's done recently. Um, and of course, his Wait, term- he actually called for martial law. When well, did he do that? Well, he called for military arrest of, of protesters. Oh, okay. So <laughs> um, that is crazy. Yeah. You go to rallies in Austin, L.A., New York. Almost every person we talked to said, we're getting guillotines ready. We're going to kill conservatives. We're going to kill Trump and his family. We're going to kill you. They're going to guillotine everybody and have a communist utopia. And they're all nodding. We're going to kill the conservatives and the Christians. We're going to kill them. And and these are marches with hundreds of thousands of people nodding their head. We're going to kill you. But they are on board for it. They are scum of the earth. We have hardcore real authoritarianism here that wants to overthrow the country and that wants to arrest and torture and kill its opposition. As far as I'm concerned, the safest thing to do would just to be, have Trump, just go ahead and have the army, go ahead and arrest these people. That's all, we're in a red red alert right now. We need to have the army just arrest these people. And I guarantee you, George Washington, if stuff like this was going on, would go arrest the people that were doing it. And- and and I guess, the, you know, you, you said you didn't want to sound fear-mongering earlier, um, and I don't want to either by stating this, but I have been concerned, especially over the last year, that some of the things that Alex Jones says on his broadcasts are so inflammatory that they worry me. You're trying to start a civil war with people. You're taking our kindness for weakness. Do you understand the American people will kill all of you? If you want a real war, a 1776, (laughs) I'm not the one that's calling for violence. You're gonna get wrecked bad. I don't want a war. I don't need some, you know, coming of age deal to kill a bunch of liberals. I just can't, but I also feel like I'm in dereliction as a citizen of my duty not saying, we have to start getting ready for insurrection and civil war because they're really pushing it. They will line you and your family up and they'll shoot you in the head and they'll rape your daughters and they'll kill your sons and they'll make your wife work in a field till she dies. You better pray there's not a civil war because I guarantee you, you're the one calling for all this. I guarantee you, son, sonny boy. I hope everyone of them that wants violence and war knows this. I'm not gonna talk about what people are planning in defense of this, but you just know this, this is a two-way street. They have no idea who they're messing with. It will trigger an extended, long-term, bloody, hot war in this country. A sick part of me, a Machiavellian part of me, actually hopes they bring down Trump because it's gonna be bloody and it's gonna be bad and it's gonna be hard, but it'll ensure our victory long-term. Let me tell you something, 60 years ago, he would be in front of a firing squad in about a month. I don't want to have a big shooting war. I don't want to have to, you know, arrest 10,000 of these people and have trials and hang their asses. But if it's done by a jury and we need to, I'll be there and pull the switch. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, you know, just call for, you know, stuff without actually being part of it. I'd support the president right now moving against these people physically. I mean, let, let, let's be honest. We're in a war. I, I, I would support the president making a military move on him right now. The country's in that big a crisis. We need to go ahead and move. It doesn't mean if down the road we fail to stop this race war, Big horde of people are coming down the street for me and my family. Shooting guns off in the air and burning buildings. I'm going to light up whoever I got to to defend my family. But it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it. I'll do what has to be done. If if he's trying to sow so much divide um, that, you know, it could could actually lead to some kind of violent incident. And I'm not, I, I wouldn't necessarily blame him for the Comet Pizza gunman incident but i do think he played a large role in that and i'm just wondering how do you feel about that are you are you concerned in any way about about any type of violence happening 
based on the things Alex Jones says? Well, I mean, the Boston Bomber was a listener. The YouTube shooter was reported to be a listener of Paul Joseph Watson. There's the Pizzagate guy. There's the guy who went into Bohemian Grove with a gun. I mean, Alex is on the air all the time saying civil war, civil war, you know, saying that he wants to, you know, beat people up. And um, and what he's really doing is he's feeding on people's basis uh, instincts to terrify them and um, has has like really created sort of this neo confederacy movement type thing. Um, I think, uh, and Andy's been more. I mean, pretty pretty obviously like white supremacist, racist. You know, having David Duke on a show, all this. We know that in our country, the um, the white supremacy movement is growing, or you know, under this white identity thing that's going on. Um, of course. I, I here's what I think about it. You know, when I really look at Alex. I think that he's the guy who knows problem, reaction, solution, right? Why would you be saying these things? And I, I, I'm really concerned. I am concerned about it. Like, and I break it down, like I said, on my Twitter thing or on custody wars, but like he was on, he started off as nothing. I think they found a dupe is what I really think. Cause I think if you watch that thing that just happened with him kissing the flag and running around, I mean, Alex is also very, um, he's, he, he's, in, in many ways, actually very unsavvy. I think he's being handled and managed is what I really think has happened. Um, but I think, um, any, any suspicions e of who do you think might be doing that? I mean, I don't think you have to be suspicious when you've got Roger Stone suddenly appearing on the scene. And, uh, I don't think you have to speculate, you know, when you see the tentacles into this thing, I mean, he was never partisan. It's just as simple as that. It's like hiding in plain view. Like he hated both sides of the same coin dog and pony show. I'm sure you heard that a thousand times, right? Yeah. How does he, how does he turn into this? And, and how does he have so much power? He's not, he's not even, you know, that great and he's ridiculous, but he, he's able to um, get this much coverage, you know. Uh, maybe people saw that, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how sophisticated these people could be. or And I know maybe this sounds like, oh, she's a conspiracy person too, right? <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's very suspicious to me. And it's alarming. And it's actually part of the reason why I'm speaking out. Because I do think it's fascism. And I think it's uh, the fascism creeping in from these actions that Alex is endorsing that we're just tolerating while we're fighting amongst ourselves and saying, oh, you're left, I'm right. No, this is like big, scary fascist stuff that's developing here. And it's and it's uh, propped up by the propaganda arm of Infowars.com. Well, I absolutely agree. I mean, it, it's, and I'm really, again, I'm really glad you're speaking out. And if you're surprised by this and suspicious by that this shift, and you were married to him for so long, then everyone should be surprised and suspicious of it. And it's really alarming to me that so many of his listeners aren't uh, so surprised and suspicious by it. I mean, I only re recently noticed that after John Bolton got appointed, and this is something that you might have some insight on, is that when John Bolton was appointed to be in Trump's, Trump's White House, uh, Roger Stone and Alex Jones did a segment where they were essentially saying, no, he's not that bad. He's not a neocon. Um, he's going to do good. He's He wants to make America great again. Roger Stone, dreaded by the left, dreaded by the globalists. He knows John Bolton, now tapped to replace McMaster. He predicted last Monday on this show, 10 days ago, 
that he would be gone within 10 days. And he was gone within nine. And people are flipping out saying this is one of the architects of the fake Iraq war, something Trump was against, something Stone was against at the time, so was I. Why is this happening? Well, Roger has the answer because he plays poker and drinks whiskey with Bolton going back for decades. And he says we don't have to worry our little heads about it. And I tend to trust Roger. Let's see what Mr. Stone has to say. Mr. Stone? Now, Alex, I think John Bolton is a good man. He's a solid conservative, uh, an early supporter of Ronald Reagan. I think he's more of an apparatchik, an operative rather than a policymaker. He's very highly capable. And I think he will carry out the orders of his boss, in this case, President Donald Trump. The first order of business has to be firing Fiona Hill, the deputy national security advisor who has uh, previously spent seven years working for George Soros and who was improbably is today a member of the Trump White House staff. The shakeup we're seeing is very nationalistic. Because say what you want about Mr. Bolton, and he's got problems, obviously, uh, but he is a nationalist, an anti-globalist. McMaster was a pipeline to Soros. McMaster was pushing to expand our involvement in Afghanistan and Syria. I don't think you'll see this kind of stuff from John Bolton. I actually think on balance, the president's made an excellent choice. And I think we will be praising Bolton months from now. And weren't you, I mean, I forget what's off record, what's on record. Didn't somebody very close to you, maybe the guy wearing a black hat right now in Roger Stone, didn't you recommend Bolton to the president? Uh, I, I knew that he was under consideration. Uh, I said he was a very good man. Uh, I didn't nominate him or anything. Uh, there was some discussion that he might need to shave his mustache to get hired. But frankly, I, look, I, I'm glad he got the job. I think conservatives, uh, anti-globalists will be praising Bolton in a matter of months. Why does it Bolton, Bolton shave the mustache if the president asked him to? And it was the first time I had ever seen almost all of the comments being upset towards Alex Jones and Infowars. And I'm just wondering... You know, did you see that? Like, I mean, is that is that even that a surprise to you that Alex Jones would be going to bat for John Bolton, who is part of the project for the New American Century, which I'm sure you're you're familiar with? When you have like a a pep rally for a bad guy on a channel that's supposed to be against bad guys, you know, <laughs> it's highly suspicious, right? Like, um, and I think that I do think that Alex has lost the majority of his original audience, actually. And I think he's gotten a bigger audience, but it's an audience of haters that's going to be real fickle to him when, you know, this whole charade falls down, which I think it must. I think uh, we must stand up to and, you know, I don't know how we do it, um, but I think you just do it by exposing it and exposing um that it is a propaganda arm now, very clearly so. Um, and also, I think we can expose the propaganda arm. Honestly, people, if people would just see what he's done in court and and help get exposure to my case, uh, show the great hypocrisy about how you say how you could actually go and hold a free speech conference and talk about vexatious litigation when you're a person who's repeatedly filed to block uh, your ex-wife's free speech and who has filed vexatiously against her. Yeah, somebody was telling me, I mean, we are isolated in our lives now. You know, we're, we're alone with our screen right? Kind of mm -hmm. like the telescreen in <laughs> 1984, right? And so these people who are alone and lonely and lost and scared and disenfranchised and have lost, don't have a good, um, maybe financial future or job possibilities. They're alone in this room with this man who's telling them, you know, to be afraid, be very afraid, but you can be part of our team hate. Um, that's, that's concerning, right? It's very, very concerning. Just so, um, 
people know where to go and to follow what's what's happening still with your your custody battle um, with Alex and these motions being filed against you, they can go to custodywars.com um, to check out um, up-to-date information about that. But are there any other resources um, that you want people to check out? Are there any uh, critics of Alex Jones or any anything like that um, that you want people to point point them in the direction of? Um, well, you know, I think everybody can do their own research on him. It's, it's abundantly out there. I have been able to have some insight that others might not have into him and what's going on. And I pretty much put that out there, um, on Twitter. I'm Alex Jones underscore X on Twitter. Like you said, my website's custodywars.com and people probably don't ever want to go there again. But if anybody goes to Facebook, I'm still posting there under Kelly Jones. Um, the thing that uh, I hope that will happen, I, I'm just one person right now. I don't have an assistant. I'm, I'm just writing and posting and making these videos myself, right? I'm hoping to get to um, a place where I maybe have a little bit more help. So, and I'm and I'm also my own lawyer, so I'm a little bogged down. I'm a half-time mom here, um, trying to be, you know, with my kids as much as possible. I'm hoping to create some sort of support group um, for me and my situation, because it's really not a custody situation. It's a, it is a technically, I guess, but it's a civil liberty situation, and um, I'm going to be trying to figure out the best way to do it. You know. Um, I want to do some uh, public action, uh, some protesting and marching and um, things of that nature. So people can just watch my spaces there for that. And thank you. I, it really, I've had a tremendous amount of people just helping me, you know, connecting me with other people through Twitter. And I'm just so grateful for that. That's how I met you. I'm, I'm super grateful for you to talking to me. Um, I need to find a way to do this real effectively so that uh, if the big media won't cover it, which they really have not done, then um, maybe enough grassroots media will stand by me. And I'll be, I mean, I would love people to come join me when I go stand with, you know, five to 10 other activists in front of the Texas Attorney General's office and ask for Alex to be indicted uh, and ask for other people in Austin to be indicted for the criminal actions that they did in my case and in others to block child custody, to take away the most important thing um, from children's lives is their other is a parent, right? And that parental bond. I hope that people will join me and I hope to be able to express that better in the future and to have more of uh, uh, some sort of, you know, focal point where people can find out more about that. And for now, that would be custodywars.com. And for everybody listening to this podcast out there, um, you can clearly hear that Kelly is a concerned and loving parent. And I don't need to stress this too much, but contrast the way that Kelly sounds here with the way Alex has been sounding recently on his broadcast, even off air. It's very important that Kelly um, is able to fight this and win this and, and, and actually get the custody that she was granted because it's, it's obvious that something is, is wrong with Alex and he's not getting any better. And I just hope for the sake of this country that he at the very least tones himself down and, and, and tries to go back to some of these earlier principles. But I, I, I fear that it's maybe too late that he has lost his way completely. Can I, can I say something sure. about that? So I've been trying to get Alex to come to mediation with me for years. 
Um, he's managed by his attorneys. He's got nasty attorneys that have opened offices in Austin because they've made millions of dollars. And I don't really think that they're really, you know, enabling him or they're enabling him, but if that is possible for him to come sit down in mediation, I think that they, that they make that not happen. Right. If I could sit down at a table with Alex, here's what I would say to him. I would say, you know, Alex, you've lost your way. You've got horrible problems that are evident to everyone. And you've got major substance abuse problems and drinking problems. And it's time for you to make an apology to go into rehab and to, and to sit and contemplate and try to find the person that you once were that cared about our country that you said you were. Um, and then for you to join with me, <laughs> me, your ex-wife, to expose the injustices of family court and to show through that general corruption in our society and to redeem the situation for the greater good. That's what I would say to him. Probably I'd practice it a little bit more. <laughs> that's, that's, that's beautiful, Kelly. I, I think that that's, and, and hopefully if he ever listens to this, he hears that if you never get a chance to tell him that to, to his face. Um, he could change the world. Alex Jones could change the world by saying, I've been wrong. I made a mistake. You know, I, I've, I, I'm out of my head right now, you know, and, and maybe he doesn't come right back on the air or whatever it is, but he could change the world. He could help stop this, what's going on in our country right now. He could do that. He's got that kind of influence. I completely agree with you. And I think that most people who maybe only have a peripheral knowledge of Alex Jones don't realize just how big of a role he's playing right now. And I think that that's completely true. He, he really could um, have an, a positive impact if he wanted to. Yeah. And one last thing I'd like to say, like, I'm a person of faith. I believe in God. And I got through this by that faith only, you know, this isn't me. I'm not this great, you know, courageous, strong person. I just have faith and I believe, and I know. And, um, that uh, the thing that also the component of my faith that helped me get through this is forgiveness. I'm, I forgive him. You know, you can't, if somebody is out of their head and out of control and has real issues, if you can forgive them, then that can afford the space for, for, um, redemption and, and, and make it better. Um, I know that everybody, a lot of people have been real unforgiving of me and I get it, you know, and I don't, I don't mind. I get it. It's hard to forgive people that you think have done something wrong, but, um, a heart for forgiveness, uh, and, and a real heart for coming together in peace in this country. We've got to get back together as a nation to who we are as, at the core. We're a good, caring people. We're a united people, and we need to get back to that. Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, Media Roots Radio today. And anybody who's been listening to this, go to Kelly's website, custodywars.com. Also follow Kelly on Twitter at... Alex Jones underscore X. Thank you for listening to Media Roots Radio. If you like this broadcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can donate as little as $1 per podcast. Go to www.patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. Thank you very much. <laughs>